0: So the next person that we have on is uh, Jason Kanigan, and he's going in how to lower the 40% small sat failure rate. Uh, So we're just gonna pop up here. My apologies here. Uh, So Jason is a factory manager, uh, was a factory manager at 25 and a process engineer in many industries since the mid nineties. So Jason uh, encourages you to resist the biggest pull towards failure. But we've always done it this way. The truth is that inertia, not compound interest, is the strongest force in the universe. So Jason, uh, thank you for uh, for coming on the show and uh, we'd love to hear from you.
1: All right. Well, I got to host this thing, which is really great. And thank you to our attendees for being here. Um, all the folks from NASA who a lot of you were here to see Dr. Ressler and I had the chance to talk with some of you. I really appreciate it. There were three um, audience segments that I wanted to address uh, in, in this whole thing. One was students who are getting close to graduation and wondering like, what do I do about work? Uh, didn't know it would be quite like this, <laughs> but uh, you know, the situation we find ourselves in today. Um, founders of space companies, who I want you to have real business information here, not just a sort of a technical candy sandwich, but some, some really heavy stuff. Um, which I'm going to get into on a lower level than what Joseph Paris talked about. Um, and then also the, the technical folks. And we, we have had and we'll have a couple more uh, panelists to talk about um, the technical side of things. So Dr. Marie I was introduced to through uh, former head of the Space Development Agency. I think you can figure out who that is because there was only one. <laughs> and, uh, as soon as you meet the guy, you know, hey, wow, this is really, really uh, great stuff. And he knows exactly what he's talking about. And I got in knowing nothing about uh, orbital collision detection and prevention and and the difference between detection and tracking and that. And So you think as an outsider, hey, this stuff must already be figured out. And no, it's not, you find out really quickly. Uh, Dr. Forsick, uh, I enjoyed meeting her because uh, as as, uh, Mike pointed out, I was a plant manager when I was 25. And when I was 24, I was told, despite having the factory manager education, you can't do that, you're too young. And so I quit that job and spent uh, three, four months (laughs) finding that factory manager role. So that young people... Uh, reaching and, and getting into positions that they really want to get into. I believe very strongly in that. So that that message in Rise of the Space Age Millennials, which I was glad to buy on Kindle, it's over there on, on its first day out, was really important. Dr. Rick Fleeter. By the way, all these folks I have interviewed on my show, which is called The Cold Star Project, and that's where I, I uh, met them all initially. And so you can go on YouTube or on any audio platform as well and find it there like Spotify or iTunes, The Cold Star Project. And you'll find a video or only, audio-only version of these uh, these interviews. So Dr. Rick Fleeter, he was on. He had these great stories about taking a satellite out in the 70s to the launch pad and going, can you put this on? And they had no way of charging him for it, so they just dumped some water out, put the satellite in, and fired it on up, which I just find absolutely wild. He came back and said, hey, um, do you need a technical engineering advisor? So he is our technical en- engineering advisor for Cold Star. He'll be up next after me. Uh, Rick Ward, as soon as I met Rick, I was like, huh, what's edge computing despite having a data science company why would you need that in orbit? And within two minutes, I was like, okay, I got to bring this out to, to meet all you folks with us uh, so that you hear about it. I think it's a really important, uh, capability that even a year ago probably would have kind of been laughed at a little bit, you know, but is now, uh, I think it's a great idea. You develop the capability and then what you do from that, who knows, uh, Dr. Wrestler. Obviously, great speaker. Uh, him and my thoughts about robotics are massively in alignment there. Uh, Joseph Paris, we talked about a little bit. He's operating at this strategic level. I got his book. I read his book. I took three pages of notes on uh, state of readiness and then interviewed him. That interview has not come out yet. It will soon on the Cold Star Project. So, And then Matthew Travis. There's a lot of folks out there who profess to uh, want to start a launch vehicle development agency or, or company and they just don't have they got maybe some technical stuff but they just don't have the oomph to be able to do it and matthew travis of phoenix launch systems is one of the few people that i've talked to uh who really has it together he has the business sense um and you know I've just enjoyed talking to the guy just as much as Rick Ward too. he and I have had some chats, so I wanted you to understand why I picked these folks. There are people that I know they weren't just randomly picked. I'm trying to give uh, the, the audience that will come on here, you folks uh, something whether you're a student or a founder or a uh, a technical person so I got into the um the space industry and I went where the heck does a process engineering guy fit in here? Somebody who knows how to cut stuff up, processes up into little slices and then go, do we need this? No, let's get rid of it. Right. And question everything. And I want to make you look good. (laughs) That's that's my mission. Because if you look good and you achieve what you said you would achieve, you're going to get more funding. And that is key. And if you don't, the funding tends to dry up, right? Really quick. this is a, an industry where nobody likes to be embarrassed, that's one thing I picked up on really fast. So, when I found out, and you can go and look this up on the, on the coldstartech.com site on the satellite process engineering page, you'll see a pie chart on there of uh, small sat failure rates. And it's not the only one. There's, there's all kinds of charts you can pull up, but they all have this total. If you start totaling together the small sat failure rates, full and partial mission failure rates, they're over 40%. In any other industry, we would not accept this. It's not acceptable. If you tried to turn your car on and four times out of 10, it it just didn't work. No one would buy a car. So uh, I'm going to cover a few things here. One is a little story. And then we're going to go through uh, a couple of symptoms of what shows you that this satellite is probably going to fail while it's still on the ground. And then a little bit about what you can do or where you can look specifically to to change these things. So the first thing is to change your mind. Engineering is not the problem here. We have a lot of smart people. There's a lot of smart people. We all don't know what we don't know, like Joseph Paris said, and we gotta kinda keep our minds on that. Like as much as we do know, that at most is like an eighth of what the whole pie is, right, there's what we know we don't know, which I think is another eighth, and then there's like six eighths of the pie, which is very generously. What we don't know, we don't know. So there's a lot that we just have no clue or no awareness about. So thinking differently, there's a story here that was taught to me 20 plus years ago back in uh, operations management training program that I like to share. It's about a little calf walking through the woods and uh, it crosses the woods from one side to the other and it has no particular destination in mind. It just starts wandering and it follows a butterfly and a smell and it kind of weaves its way through the woods. And it tramples some things down as it goes. So a little later on, some hunters are going through this forest and they go, Well, how can we get through here? Ah, there's already kind of a squished down animal path here. They'll we'll follow that. So they squish that down. And now it's it's a trail. Some pioneers start coming along, and they start using this thing, right? Nobody stops to think, hey, where did this thing get started from? Right? So they're now they're making it into a real pathway. People are using it. Now as time develops, it grows into a larger trail, maybe a dirt road with some ruts in it for some carriages. There's a town on that side and a town on the other side, and there's trade going back and forth along it. And there's this dirt road now. Somebody decides to pave it. The municipalities are creeping closer and closer to one another. And there's a four-lane highway, and the trees get cut down because some developers decide, hey, let's make some condos here. The road's still there. It's an eight-lane highway now right? It's wiggling. Nobody ever stopped to think what started this all off. And there's no more forest there. So that even the people who are alive today, if nobody remembers that those trees were there, they won't even remember what happened at the start, what the what the original situation was. So this is what life is like. It, this is a process engineering company. We go into other companies and Document what they do. And document is like infrastructure. It's one of those words that make people uh, glaze over, you know, and that's too bad. So I call it something else. I call it like critical data collection or something in the hopes that that will grab them by the collar and get them closer and start looking at this stuff. So start thinking differently and not just accepting things the way that we were, the way that we've always done it. So key point here. If you don't document anything, if nothing is written down or recorded on video, somehow document it. Your experienced people will eventually leave. We know just by attrition, right? They'll retire and gone. And we see this in in academia, universities. The graduate students leave. The new students come in despite the instructor being there or the academic head or whatever. These new students have to relearn the lessons that the, the old students knew and learned over the last four years. There's no institutional knowledge being kept. So you really have to watch this. And then there's companies that say, oh, we... We uh, took care of documentation. We wrote that down. They're just paying lip service to it. There's no real library there, and nobody's updated the thing in a long time, okay? And these are big companies that are doing this. So, symptoms in... Satellite development, small sat development. And these are from industry reports And that I feel sometimes like I'm a historian reporting on Stalingrad or something, you know. There's a lot of data out there that I can bring it to you, okay? If you have the symptom of schedule compression, you're rushing, you have a problem, okay? Testing is the first thing to get cut, and that is a real problem. Dr. Fleeter will talk about this in the next segment. If you have to eliminate testing because you're chasing a launch date, That's bad, okay? And that is a big thing that leads to partial and full um, mission failure. I've got some notes on this screen, so I'm going to look at it. Uh, Sometimes people run out of money. They can't develop all the capabilities that they profess that they want to, okay? Uh, Incompatibility of components and failure of integration, like with ground stations and that. Got to watch for this stuff. So, those are symptoms, right? Especially that schedule compression thing. If you I'm going to go to root causes now here uh, because I want to move quickly. Failure to develop a project sponsor. Okay. There is a fellow named Peter Taylor. He's called the lazy project manager. I had him on my show. Um, He's got a couple books out. Actually, more than a couple, but two. There is the lazy project manager and then the project management. It's all bollocks because they're British that came out. And here's the first person to really highlight this sponsor thing for me. Who in the organization can you go to who is going to champion your project, go get you more resources and kick people in the butt to get them moving forward when things get stuck? And how do they want to receive information? This is a terrible thing out there in the world in many, many other organizations. Okay, They you'll get some technical guy uh, who will drop off a 60-page technical report on some uh, person's desk, an executive's desk. And that executive is, is, uh, if you know the disk profile, high D. They're pushy. They're opinionated. They want the strategic-level overview. They want the one-page report or at least the two- or three-page report, not the 60-page report. And so they will never read the big document. You need to know who you're talking to. Right? or maybe they do want the 60 page uh, report, but know your, know your sponsor. Uh, challenge this belief that we're smarter than this, right? Everybody feels that way. If you find yourself or your team saying, we'll solve the scheduling problems later, you are in trouble, big trouble, okay? Chasing the launch date, if you have no slack in your schedule, okay? 100% re- resource utilization sounds fantastic, right? And as an operations management guy, wow, that I believe in that for a long time, but you need slack. You need, there is big power in reserves, big, big power in reserves. Uh, If you've got your best person on the team on project A, and suddenly they need to be brought off to work on project B, but they're at hundred percent utilization, there's going to be fireworks on both sides. People on both teams are going to be angry. And those customers and those stakeholders and that. So areas that I would look at are, And I'm putting together a course for this. There's an offer for it on the the resources page that'll be sent out to everyone. I don't know if anybody's gonna want it here. It it doesn't really matter. I'm gonna make the thing anyway. And we're gonna look at four big areas. Program structure is the first. We want sponsorship, figured out. Who is the sponsor? And in academia, this is just as important as inside a commercial organization. What's the scope of the project? A lot of satellite uh, projects are ridiculous in their scope, and I'm sure Dr. Fleeter will back me up on this one. Try to do too much. Get something up in the air that flies, okay? Do that first. Do the simple thing first, and then add on to it on your next project. Get control of the calendar. This is really, really important, and we'll come back to it in in another section here. You have to have that slack in the calendar, some parallel processing of testing and that that isn't being done now, and just... Knowing that you need to set aside, as in part three here, a third to half of your overall schedule for testing and not cut into it. It cannot be the first thing to go, or else you get this forty-plus percent failure rate. It is awful. Uh, experienced team members mixed in there with the newbies. Okay, it's all right to have new folks in there, right, folks straight out of university and that, but having an experienced team is really important. We'll come back to another reason why. The second part is risk analysis. Uh, you want to look at your design and start with your risk assessment at the start. What could go wrong here? This is often left until later, right? What tests, analysis, reviews, etc. are you going to prioritize? Spare parts inventory. There's a lot of... Uh, uh, Delays in the schedule that result from this. You buy a part, it's off the shelf, it doesn't work, it goes fizz, and then now you're waiting two weeks or something for a replacement. Meanwhile, the satellite's taken apart on the test bed. That's not good, right? Section three is the test selection and scheduling. As I said, a third to half of the overall schedule, hardware, software, deployables. Um, There's four tests that I have seen recommended here by NASA folks, so I'm going to say them, and all the NASA folks will know these. A day-in-the-life test, communication link with the ground station, power system charge and discharge, and thermal testing in a vacuum. These are essential, and if you try and skip them or you can't do them because you screwed up your schedule (laughs) on the back end, you are in trouble. Fourth area, final area, my favorite area (laughs) critical data collection systems the documentation part i I said that's the bad word but it's really important what happens is the launch schedule is a pressure that drives risk and it messes up your decision making and when people are under stress they don't do that well usually start kind of going crazy with decisions and you know, this, this idea, and you see this in, I'm a history student as well. And you look at, at war plans and that, and you'll see the same kind of thing going on. Oh, we'll figure that out later. Let's just get started. And, and it does not go well for the, the non-planning party, the party that isn't really doing the logistics side of it um, well enough. Document processes and improve them. This is a thing we are expert at. And capture the data so that the organization can become a learning organization. As I said up front, um, if your if experienced people are the only people who know what's going on and they leave, you lose all that institutional knowledge. You have to start over from scratch. And that slows down your, your operational pace, which is terrible. And this is a thing that Joseph Paris could really help you out with, that operational pace thing. In the head of your genius is not an acceptable place for data and information. Okay, Information is not information as far as I'm concerned until... It is out of the head of the individual and recorded somewhere that's accessible. Like Joseph said, uh, he could call up his dad and say, I want this file, it's in this exact spot. That's power, that's speed, that's effectiveness, okay? I'm gonna sum up here or wind up with failure causes from actual missions, okay? So what things, that, and this is from a NASA study again, what failure causes have we seen from actual missions? First of all, the payload-to-bus interface was a common source of problems. Big area. I've got a fellow on named John Paul Carneser who I just recorded with for the Cold Star Project. And in about a zillion weeks, his episode will come out. It's a long gap because it's a popular show. And his thing is um, the payload-to-bus interface, and we talked about that. The communication system, radio antenna ground segment. This was a big uh, area of failure as well. It often worked for a little while and then suddenly went silent. No one knows why. (laughs) Um, The power system, another big area. You've got solar cells, batteries, the power management board, it's a complex system. It all needs to be working together or else you have a mission failure. So these things often reset themselves. They had design flaws, they overheated, and they operated for a while and then failed. And then the deployables. It's difficult to test burn wires turns out, in the way that you fly, right? It's hard to configure them as you fly. And so people don't like to do these tests. They're time consuming and they're hard to reset and that, so they skip it. Well, if your antenna doesn't come out or your solar panels don't deploy, you're in trouble. Uh, Third-party components here. (laughs) Same list of failure reasons as far as they could track them as the power uh, systems, okay? And uh, you've got this is what I was talking about earlier, inexperienced design team members do not have the history of knowing what parts are are trustworthy. So if you're a Bill Doggett, hi, thanks for being here. And you've got 20 years of experience in testing. Great. (laughs) But if you're not, how do you know what's going to work with what? And a lot of these things, these uh, third party components are not quite rated to space tolerances. They will say something on the spec sheet, but when you actually use them, it doesn't quite work that way. So Always testing. And finally, software. It's often changing to the last minute um, and not always adequately tested because, again, it's on the last end of the testing phase, which gets squished out because we screwed up on the front end and we have to cut time from the schedule somewhere on the back end. So I thought it was interesting what you don't see listed on these failure lists. Attitude control, which is a very complex system, right? Maybe the, if the power system breaks, uh, I guess you don't have to worry about that. And propulsion. Um, so again, if you're, if you're interested in getting a course where I expand on these things, I'm going to get Dr. Fleeter to help me. I think he just found out he's being roped into this. If we go ahead, Uh, then go to the resources page, look under the offers section. It'll be at the the bottom of that. And um, I think it'll be a, a great investment for any organization. All right. I think I am done there.
0: Wonderful. Thank you so much, Jason. Yeah. Uh, the first thing that I want to pick your brain on uh, before we get to the questions is... <laughs> do I have a brain? <laughs> uh, well, whatever brain you do have, I'm <laughs> sure you'll, you'll put it to good use here. So you're talking a lot about systems that, uh, don't, uh, that don't get followed, testing that doesn't happen, mm-hmm. documentation these are all obviously symptoms of probably a problem. What do you, what do you kind of find is that underlying thing that makes people want to skip all of these important steps?
1: Ah, Well, well the rush and the pressure, right? The the pressure of getting to that launch date is the problem. And so they start sacrificing this and that. Uh, And the culture has not been to document and because it feels slow to do it. Well, okay. We have technology today, and I've made this suggestion to, especially to uh, academics, to um, space department program heads and that. Get your experienced people, your graduate students, sit them down on a stool in front of a camera like this and click record and get them to talk. And, And there's technology that will transcribe automatically what they said. It's 80-something percent accurate. You can have somebody smart go through later and clean it up maybe. But at least get that knowledge down of, hey, what did you learn over the last four years? Right? And, and it doesn't have to take very long. That is, sitting there and talking to a, um, a camera like this is a lot easier. That's why I haven't written a book. It's a lot easier to make a course than it is to write a book. So kudos to everybody who did that. <laughs>
0: Wonderful. So some of the Mm -hmm. questions that we got and please uh, send your questions in and we'll, uh, Jason will be happy to answer them. So for students who are close to graduating Mm -hmm. and would like to work in the space industry, do you have an uh, opinion on the pros and cons of working in the various sectors? For example, government agencies versus old space companies versus new space startups?
1: Hmm. (laughs) So, having been a guy uh, who has kind of rolled with the punches and created, I've had four jobs created for me, four custom roles created for me by employers. They were not with bigger companies, by the way. Although one of them was on the Inc. top 500. So, uh, but that's a growth rate. That's not actual revenue size or whatever. They they were doing pretty well though. Um so I, I believe in going out and, and punching your way into situations. Um so violent. But <laughs> you your your ability to network and get people um in a friendly way disposed to to helping you is probably far greater as a student than you think. Um, just go and ask people and especially I always say look I've done the heavy lifting for you with the Cold Star project. Go through that podcast And look, uh, there's 25 episodes I think up right now, maybe 26, 27, and I've got another 25 recorded or something that I'll be issuing and I'm recording more. In, In other words, I've already done the heavy lifting of meeting these people. I've demonstrated to you that they are nice people, connect with them. Get on LinkedIn, start doing it. And the time to do this is like now, like as as soon as possible. It's like planting the tree, right? The best time was years and years ago when you were uh, an undergrad, probably start developing these relationships. Uh, And then uh, as far as like, which area do you want to get into? So I've worked with and for uh, giant multinational companies where I was fit into a little kind of cubicle type role and I didn't like it. Uh, And I like to expand and and take on more responsibility, which is why I run my own company today. So I think getting um, kind of that that personal preference straightened out is a good thing. But getting out there and just getting some experience um, and consciously choosing. Which do you want to learn? If you go into a a government agency of that, there's going to be more processes and procedures, which is kind of good. Um, But it's also maybe, and the NASA folks will probably correct me on this, it might be a little bit slower paced. I know uh, my first job in the power generation field, I designed power plants, uh, steam turbine cogeneration plants, big diesel power plants and that. And uh, we could move a lot faster as a smaller company than our competitors could. We could turn around a a redesign on a quote um, in a very short time. So I think there's a thing called information interviews. And I think that would be best for you, which is get out there and make some connections in the, in the industry that you want to make just through LinkedIn even and and come talk to me, come connect with me on LinkedIn and I'll help you uh, and start, finding people who are doing or running the kinds of jobs and companies that you want to and go ask them for 10 or 15 or 20 minutes of their time and some will say no they're too busy that's very few though surprisingly most people are nice and want to help they either enjoy puffing themselves up and uh, you know being the important person and sharing or some people are just generally nice i'm a bit of both i got to admit Uh and and so there's a lot more information out there. You could you could interview two people about the same title role at two different organizations and get two completely different pictures on what that role is like in that particular culture. And then you know, part of being young is you don't know your preferences, right? I'm forty-five years old, I know my preferences, right? I know where I will do well and what I don't like. But as a young person, you need to kind of figure this out. So I don't think any experience will hurt you. Um, I've seen over time, everything comes back. It may take 10 years, but everything comes back to help you in the end. Cause you'll watch for, you'll know, warning signs for bad things. Um, and, and you'll know what process to follow, to go out and, and get that role that you want, for example, and hopefully that j- answers that question. Joseph
0: Paris just added in big risk, big uh-huh. reward. Best yeah. time to take a risk is when you have nothing to lose. Yeah. And that is 100% true. Um, if, I, if you hope you don't mind, Jason, um, yeah. I'm a marketer myself. Mm-hmm. LinkedIn has been a thing, a common theme. Everyone has said here, mm-hmm. get on LinkedIn and start networking, ask people questions. It's a great community and it's a great mm-hmm. way and it's free. And uh, I, as I tell all my clients, that's where you need to go. And in the job world, it's the same place because people are people and that's where people yeah. are right now. So uh, yes. And the time to build, uh, f- again, from Joseph, uh, the time to build your network is before you need it. And yeah. it takes time. Um, I, do, you, do you have something to say there, Joseph? Do you want to jump your mic on for a second? <laughs> <laughs> I hope you don't mind Jason if
1: he jumps uh, in. Yeah. I want to say one thing though, before yeah. I forget, which yeah, is uh, Dr. Dr. Laura Forsick brought up a great point. She's, she's helped out a lot uh, in the background of this uh, thing about making it a, a better event because she attended a lot and she said, oh, could we have more women because of diversity? And I absolutely agree. I've made a lot of connections with women and interviewed a number of them on the Cold Star Project. Space lawyers, we'll have a space lawyer on in the next one or two, I promise. Uh, and and academics in that program heads of like Caltech, Cal Poly, um, these organizations and that. So. If you're, if you're a, a woman and you're on this, um, there is definitely room and, and context that you can make, um, and, and they will be only too glad to help you out.
0: I, I think we can get one last question in here. Um, I think it's, a, it's good again on the other side of the equation for graduates. Uh, interested in pursuing space entrepreneurship but who don't want to fall into the trap of overestimating their abilities or oversimplifying the process of starting a company. So what advice would you give to, be, to those soon to be graduates?
1: <laughs> I would listen to everyone here that you can. All right? Every speaker today has had something that will point you in the right direction. OK, I'm more rough and tumble than a Joseph Paris, let's say his idea of operation um, a- a- at the strategic level was eye opening to me. I've never heard anyone say that before. Right. Uh, operational excellence at the strategic level. I would go get his book. Uh, listen to Dr. Fleeter. I love having him around because he he ran Aero Astro. I think it had like 100 employees more than I got he, he knows what a million dollar a month burn rate feels like. Okay. This stuff is real gritty. Matthew Travis, I have him on and last because I want you to remember that's the speaker. You're going to probably remember the most business, 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 right? So stick around and listen to
2: these guys. Did Joseph want to say anything? Yeah, I I got just a couple of things. I'll make it really quick. First off, Jason, you're spot on everything you said. I mean, absolutely spot on. Um, A couple of things that I would strongly recommend. Uh, LinkedIn, we talked about that, don't underestimate it, but the time to build that network is before you need it and it takes time and it takes effort. Um, so if you think you're going to need a network a year from now, uh, you're too late. Start building it immediately and, and be uh, enthusiastic about it. Uh, <clears throat> second thing is, and you didn't mention this, and I'm going to suggest it to uh, to the participants, I mentor a lot of um, professionals. I mentor a lot of students. I ask them to build or create a one page capabilities statement. Okay. A resume and a CV talks about what you have done. A capability statement talks about what you can do. It's forward looking. Okay. It's where you highlight your superpowers as opposed to what you have done, which is archived. So it's good to have both of those things. Uh, And the last is about mentorship and asking people like us, I guarantee you, Jason and I have made every mistake in business a person could possibly make. And reaching out to us, have already been there, got the t-shirt, we will short circuit uh, all of the things that you can possibly think of. Uh, And and really, if it's not us, somebody else, somebody else that's been in business, somebody else, preferably somebody else that's failed because they know what failure looks like. They could give you the telltale signs. So that's all I had to say. Awesome. Thank you you very
0: much, Joseph. That was a great add on. So uh, we're going to have to wrap this up because uh, talking about uh, Dr. Rick, uh, we have him on. So thank you again, Jason.